This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I think you need to have the basics, just the fundamental understanding of how finance works. And from a real estate perspective, it is very, very simple. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. Today we have an awesome guest, Danny Randazzo. He's someone that I have seen on LinkedIn and BiggerPockets for quite some time. We had a bunch of mutual connections and he's just doing a lot of big projects in the Southeast where I'm very familiar just from living in Raleigh for a couple of years, but his model seems amazing in the sense of he's grown really quickly and added a lot of units in a very short period of time. Uh, he made the move from San Francisco to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, which he gets into in the show. It's really interesting to hear why he did that and how he did that, leaving corporate America to move cross country with his family. Uh, his primary focus is syndication, multifamily. He started scaling from a smaller portfolio of units. And then he basically just jumped into the multifamily space when he did some math and realized that he could become more or less financially free on one big deal. So that was really cool. Really interesting to see how he did that. Uh, his business, like I said, has grown pretty amazingly uh, from a speed perspective. He's over 2000 units now and over 222 million in assets under management. Um, he's been featured on tons of other podcasts. He's putting a lot of content out there on Bigger Pockets, LinkedIn, Facebook. So he's worth a follow and his story is just really, really interesting there. The two things that stood out to me from this episode were when, why, and how he decided enough was enough and he was going to leave his job and pursue this as a full-time uh, endeavor. He sold all his stuff, packed up, and moved to Charleston from South Carolina to start this business, which you don't hear about that often of people quitting kind of cold turkey or just jumping into something with two feet without having a little bit of experience beforehand. He did have experience, but uh, this was to me a little bit more of just a radical change. So it's really interesting to hear how he did that. The second thing was how he has started a very successful meetup, a breakfast meetup in Charleston where he's made tons of relationships and built tons of business uh, partners from that meetup. And he digs into how and why that has become successful. We hear it a lot of times on this show and just other podcasts that a great way to get started and build relationships is to either attend meetups or to start your own. But not that many people actually explain how you do so or uh, how you can make yours stand out compared to some other people's. So really cool stuff there. Today's tangible tip, mailer lists. It's an easy way to stay in touch with people. A lot of people I know uh, maybe do this the wrong way. They make it a little spammy and they send stuff too often or too salesy. I guess when I say this, guys, I mean sending mailer lists in a way that are really only value add. So a way that I've seen work and some other people I know have had good experience with this as well is just basically putting out free value. Some of you guys may be on mailer lists or um, like follow along lists from people that just put content out there. One that comes to mind I'm thinking of is Tim Ferriss's Five Bullet Friday where every week he just puts out five things that he found helpful that week. And there's no sell, there's no course, there's no spamminess. It's literally just here are five things that brought me value. I hope they help you the same way. Uh, I used to do one with a big list of maybe three or 400 people. Um, it became too much for me at the time and I didn't make time for it or build systems for it. So I scaled it back. Now I've actually started again with posting just one tip. So this is actually the model that I'm using 
if you guys follow some of my stuff, uh, I like to just repurpose some of it when I can. So for example, every tangible tip from the podcast episode goes into a mailer that I just put out as one bullet that I'll maybe repurpose for the mailer or LinkedIn or Facebook, but it'll just be free value out there. So that's another little trick, I guess, another tangible tip of if you're going to do mailer lists, great, but then also you can repurpose some of the stuff to just put value out in different ways. And I really, my, my personal view on it is if you're going to do this, um, do it just to add value, not in a way to sell stuff and pitch people on stuff because that's a pretty quick way to get blocked or just, in my opinion, not have the best reputation. Uh, I think there's a way to do that differently where you can maybe put people in a, a marketing campaign or stuff like that. But uh, this is just free value add. So I've had some good success with it. So without any further ado, awesome episode today with Danny Randazzo. All right, Danny, welcome to the podcast. Jonathan, Thank you so much for having me on. How's it going today? It's going very well. I was, uh, I was excited to have you on just first and foremost from your background, but then, you know, checking out your content the last couple of months and seeing we have a lot of mutuals. Um, seems like you're doing some really cool things and you have a really interesting story. So um, we'd love to dig into that. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff is out there publicly. I recommend everyone go out and check some of the podcasts you've been on. Uh, and some of the content you've put out with, you know, Fairless or Bigger Pockets or some of the stuff you put out yourself. But for those that do not know, um, can you give us just a high level of how you got started in real estate and uh, where you are today? Yeah, I got started in real estate, my girlfriend at the time, wife now, having some serious life conversations. So I think it's something that every investor, entrepreneur, uh, motivated, like-minded individual, you know, all the people kind of in the tribe. Um, that we all strive to achieve. And we, we basically kind of came to that breaking point of enough was enough with exchanging our time for money. And we said, you know, we need to make a change. And we sold everything off in California, in the Bay Area, moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and started buying cash flowing real estate assets to generate monthly income for us and slowly replace my W-2 job and eventually get us to a point of kind of financial freedom being the definition of having enough monthly income through passive sources that covers your cost of living, that being the financial freedom metric, and then having the ability to kind of grow from there, have control of your time, do what you want. The piece I'll kind of highlight is passive income um, is not, you know, it's not truly passive unless you set it and forget it. And so for us getting started, and it's really important for all of the listeners out there to understand when I say you know, passive monthly income, we were still working really hard at finding deals, sourcing deals, managing projects, overseeing value add activities. Um, but we just had a, a monthly income stream that always came in from real estate and putting in kind of that one time effort of buying a property, adding value to it, and now letting the renters, the tenants or the residents that live or work there pay the monthly rent and then we collect cash flow every month. So on the onset, it's still going to be active. It's still going to be a use of your time, but you're making that investment of time up front and then you're going to reap the rewards month over month over month. And so that's what we did. Today, we own um, and control about 220 million in multifamily properties um, with our company, PassiveInvesting.com. And we are solely focused on multifamily investing. We look at properties built between 1990 and 2010, plus or minus about five years. These are B, B plus, A minus quality assets in the absolute best locations in our specific markets that we invest in. Our kind of core investment focus is Raleigh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and then Greenville and Charleston, South Carolina. Our secondary markets that we look at are Atlanta and Jacksonville, Orlando. And we have very strict criteria. So again, we only look at properties in those 
kind of core and secondary markets for our group. But I think everyone needs to define their own specific criteria. The more specific you are in your criteria, the more deals that you will find. And that's really what allowed us to kind of grow from one property into 220 plus million. So again, I think for anybody just getting started, maybe you haven't bought a deal or you've bought five, um, the more specific you can be, the easier it is to find and close quality deals. Um, so that's kind of the background. We really sold everything off, took a leap, jumped into it full time, and really, you know, we still work hard every day, but we love it. We have the ability to travel when we want to, not when we are forced to from a job or anything like that. And so um, it's been an incredible journey. And the last thing I'll leave you with in this intro is you can't do it alone. So have great partners, um, have mentors, have other people in the space that support you. I call them, um, what is it? We um, kind of like your, your, um, your cheerleading group, if you will. Um, you've got some of your mentors that help you and, and whether you know them or not, it's, it's not important. Um, but what's important is that motivating factor and what you can get from those people virtually online from a phone call or from a book that you read, having that mentor in your back corner to help push you along and pull you along and drag you along at times is really what you need. So don't think you're going at it alone. Gotcha. Very cool. Thank you for that. That was an awesome background. Um, touched on a lot of things that uh, I, I think, well, a lot of people are curious about when someone scales a business, but the first one, just, this is a, a curious question, still kind of for people that are transitioning or considering a plan or path to go from full W2 to full real estate investing. Did you have kind of a transition? Was it a clean break? How did you think about subsidizing your income? I've heard you say in a couple other uh, podcasts and interviews that your number was 5K in monthly cash flow, which is funny. That's very similar to the, the goal that I have right now. But how did you think about it from transitioning out of a W-2 into doing this full time? Well, I, I break things down using math and working backwards. I have always done kind of story problems backwards where I I get the answer and then I kind of figure out how to get there. And so my goal starting out, I wanted to replace my W-2 income. So easy math, if you make 120 grand a year, you need $10,000 a month. If you make 60 grand a year, you need $5,000 a month. Now, you know, we'll kind of leave taxes off to the side because with real estate, you, you maybe if you, if you need to replace 120K in W-2 income, maybe you only need 100K in real estate because you have tax advantages. But for easy numbers, um, that's what I do. And so I broke down that number. I had the first deal that I did, I said I wanted to make 5K a month to take a chunk out of that W-2 number. And so having that goal in mind, I then work backwards from, okay, what do I buy to make 5K a month in cash flow? And so single family homes were off the table, right? Because I would have had to buy like 10 or 15, maybe 20 of those. And that would have been a long process. So immediately I said, okay, can't look at any single family, which focuses my criteria. So I only look at deals that I care about. And then from there, we looked at um, larger multifamilies, you know, like four, eight, 10 unit properties and commercial properties. And so we eventually very quickly having that thought of, okay, I need to find something that generates 5K a month. Um, we found a million dollar office building. We put an offer in on it and closed on that property. And that was really the proof of concept to get us started, get my wife and I started in the business. And I think that's another really important point. Um, you know, having confidence in your market economics, so job growth, population growth, and, you know, is it a stable economy? Do you have job diversification? Do you have, 
you know, quality people in a quality neighborhood that want to stay there. Um, and for us in Charleston, South Carolina, when we got started, all of those things were yeses. And so it was a pretty easy decision to say, okay, if we buy this thing, it's likely going to be rented and we can cover our expenses and make some money with it. And so rather than go through like the analysis paralysis or the what if nobody rents it, what if this, what if that, it was just like, no, let's go and do it. Let's put our money to work and we're going to figure it out. And so, you know, I call it exercising the stress muscle. You're going to encounter problems along the way. I just put a post out on my website about this. Um, and I actually did an hour presentation um, to a virtual summit about the 12 challenges all real estate investors will face. And so, again, you're not going at it alone, but just get started. Um, have your goal in mind and then get started so you can, you know, start to move the needle forward and just kind of take it in chunks. You don't need to cover your W-2 income in one deal, but just kind of chunk it out and whatever you can do, um, because eventually, circling back to answer your question, um, I made a clean break when my wife and I felt very comfortable in the position we were in and the income that we had coming in from our assets um, on a monthly basis. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. So I hear a lot of investors talk about how they, well, you hear a lot of different plans, you know, from anything on the spectrum of someone that's working at W2 looking to become financially free and they're thinking they can buy 10 single family homes in 10 years and then maybe that'll set them free. I don't prescribe to that. Um, I prescribe to something, probably if you're going to do something like that strategy, more of like a stack mentality where every year you double your unit count if possible. That way you can also become the person you need to be education wise and surrounding network wise to take on that type of deal. So I guess for you, I'd be really curious to hear, it sounds like you had, I like that, that wording of POC. You did a first deal that one, it seems like it was kind of a track record piece, but also an experience piece. But a lot of investors, I think they toe that line between, do I want to just become an, I want to stay an individual investor or do I want to start raising capital and getting into that part of the scenario that they, they might look at as complicating things. I guess, how did you look at um, comparing the two between staying an individual investor and gaining cash flow and scaling something into a, a really robust business like you've done? It's a mindset shift. So a lot of people out there, um, I say, have the mindset of squeezing on and holding on to everything that they have. And if you let some of that stuff go, you can actually grow bigger. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, let's say you have $10,000 to invest in a deal. And so you go out and you buy a $100,000 house um, by yourself, right? You own 100% of the house. And let's say the value goes up by 10% or $10,000. And so great, you just made $10,000 in equity. But let's say you put your money to work with a friend and you both had 10,000 and you go out and buy a $250,000 house. And that goes up by 10% or $25,000 and you own 50-50. Well, that asset just got you equity of 12500 And so it's that little mindset shift of actually working with more people, um, having a smaller slice of a giant pie is bigger than having a whole individual pizza, let's say, because I like pizza. So if you get a little four-slice pizza, right, this big, that's great. But if you think about those giant pizzas that are like a hundred slices and you have 10% of a hundred, you have 10 slices. And so that little mindset shift is really powerful. Um, the other reason I think it's important to kind of go bigger and scale and stack, like you were saying, Jonathan, is because of scalability. So if you own 
10 single family houses 100% by yourself, that's great, but that's also a ton of work. 10 roofs, 10 properties, 10 tax bills, 10 insurance policies. If you were to stack those 10 properties together and partner with someone, maybe you can buy a 100 unit building under you know, one or two or maybe three roofs on one tax map with one insurance policy, with one management company, with a maintenance person that is on site, with a manager that's on site, and you're going to have more control, you're going to have more ability to hone in on income operations and expense operations versus the unknowns of one house. Um, a busted pipe at one house could be five grand across 10 properties, that could be $50,000. A busted pipe at a property in an apartment community, it could be five grand, right? You're not gonna have as many main drain lines uh, across that asset. So, you know, to summarize, scaling is important because having less of something bigger is greater than having 100% of something tiny and you have the ability to control and really forecast business operations at a better scalability and efficiency compared to a bunch of individual things or a bunch of small little things. Yeah, that's really cool. That makes, that makes total sense. I, I completely agree with that, especially now it's started to get into some of the bigger deals um, and just see the way people have done it when you compare the options of people who are true single family investors and the headaches that you hear about compared to the people that have scaled and built out operations and have the economy of scale and the resource commitment that they can then tie to, to more streamlined process. It's, it's a much, it seems it's much more simplified process. So um, that's really cool. I guess before we move on to um, the next part where we talk about some of the more tangible stuff and taking action and, and what you recommend for people there, um, I always like to ask, since you started on a fairly uh, large deal, I know you had some smaller deals before that, um, what were some of your main takeaways from that first million dollar deal um, that you did? It seems like you definitely took a little bit, a small leap of faith there. It was a bigger deal for you, it sounds like, but anything that you took from that that now has you know stuck with you or you really learned as you started to scale and add uh, more units and bigger units? The, the thing that I would say is, if you put your mind to an idea, you can accomplish it. And, you know, you do not have to go out and get started with one single family rental. You can go out and buy a 10 unit, a 50 unit, you know, maybe you get a hundred unit. Um, it might be a little bit more challenging, but there's no reason why you can't go bigger from the get go. You do not need to start in that space. Um, and, and the other thing is I would say partner with an experienced pro, maybe on a larger deal so you can learn the ins and outs, and then you can go out and do your own deal with that experience. So, you know, I mean, the summary is whatever you dream of, whatever you think of your mindset or your belief can become your reality. Love that. Love that. That's a really good point. Um, and that's more of just a mindset thing. It's, I mean, there's probably a lot of things that you could have looked back at, but it sounds like from a mindset standpoint, you've continued to scale because you realize you can do it. And any limit that you were setting was kind of just something that someone else maybe put there or that it was there for maybe just, you know, natural doubt or self-talk, but wasn't there really for a reason. So um, very cool. I think that's great advice for anyone that is maybe stuck or thinking that, you know, starting small is a better way to do it. Um, so you scale the business and now you're taking on, um, bigger deals. You're starting to raise capital. Um, what was that process like of, I guess, from the, the investor side of things going out and raising capital and growing those relationships. It's definitely a different part of the business from someone who's just kind of a siloed real estate investor, anything that stood out to you there. I mean, raising money is tough when you are first getting started. The biggest thing is your first kind of sphere of influence or circle of friends and family, they know you as this person. For me, it was, you know, Danny Randazzo, the Deloitte consultant. 
um, the finance guy. And so I had to, to educate them and it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a quick process where, you know, all of a sudden you're a, a full-time real estate investor and entrepreneur. And it's like Danny Randazzo, the real estate guy. Um, so you have to work with people and it takes a long time, but building those relationships and, and really having your personal brand be, you know, Jonathan, the real estate investor, the, the real estate expert, or, you know, the multifamily expert, you know, that's what you want people to resonate when your name comes up as an expert or, you know, the subject matter person to go to, to talk about multifamily or syndication, whatever that may be. Um, and so, you know, how do you get started with raising money? Because a lot of people want to do that. And you, you literally start one person at a time. And so maybe on your first deal, you have two or three people that you can bring in to invest with you. And at the same time, you can go and talk to more people, tell them what you're doing and see if they're interested when you have a new opportunity coming up. But also the three, you know, the couple of people that you partner with, they'll probably tell two or three of their friends or they'll be able to come into the next deal with you. And so I would say, you know, be patient, uh, be humbled. You're not going to be good at it at your first go or even your 20th conversation with a potential investor, but go out and do those things. Start talking to people, get your brand out there as, you know, Danny, the real estate guy, the multifamily expert, and um, you'll, you'll get there. The, the most important part is to have that brand recognition and have the experience to fall back on. So you can say, hey, look, I did this deal over here. Here's how it's performing. Here's how we're running it. Is it something you might be interested in in the future if it comes up? Makes total sense. At least that way, I think people can find a middle ground of um, having a little bit of experience, but also I think some people, they have like the imposter syndrome with it. They, they want, I think it's, it's one of two ways. Either people go about asking the total wrong way. They've never done a deal. They have no business experience and they're just going out soliciting, Hey, can I have a hundred grand? And then there are the other people that actually are more experienced. I, I've seen this. They're much more experienced than they think. And they just don't think they'll ever be ready to ask someone for the money or they don't, they, they think it's salesy or, um, you know, they can't do it cold. So I, I like that approach where you talked more about just having the brand recognition and people knowing you as someone that's professional, they know what you're doing, they know they can ask you questions. And then it's, I, I think about it a, a little bit of a warmer opening and then you can do it on a small piece and then, you know, have a track record, even if it's two or three people. So that's a really um, really good point, really actionable point there. Um, so getting into the next part of the show, we talked a little bit about um, how you view action taking because clearly you've taken massive action to scale a business. You don't seem like you're, you're that old of a guy. You seem pretty young actually to do this. Um, and a lot of the listeners here, are, I would say on the younger side, a lot of people are looking to get started. Um, and a lot of times, even just some of my groups or people I talk to, uh, especially in the Northeast where they don't see necessarily a path to doing it, but that's a whole other story. Um, we see two sides, either people that are analyzing deals for five years and take no action or a small group of people that just jump in with two feet and take massive action. So I get the question for you is how do you personally think about planning versus executing? Like how much time do you think should be spent planning, putting stuff in place, getting smart on stuff versus actually going out taking action and executing on whatever your plan is? Number one, I think you need to have the basics, um, just the fundamental understanding of how finance works. And from a real estate perspective, it is very, very simple. It is very, very basic, right? You have a resident who pays rent, right? You collect income over here. And then over here, you have your expenses. And so that's your utilities, your taxes, insurance, um, any administrative fees, property management, repair and maintenance, any sort of turnover, any sort of reserves, and debt service as well, right? So your income on a monthly basis should be higher than your expenses. So at the end of the month, you have cash flow. That is it. 
if you can find a deal, right, you just run these basic numbers, your purchase price, your debt service, you factor all those costs in, that's your monthly expense. If you find a property that generates income in a given market, that seems like a good deal, right? I'm not going to go into the details of it. Could be a really bad deal or it could be a phenomenal deal, but that's the basic finance that you need to have. So a basic understanding of the numbers, and then you have to go take action. Um, there's not a book out there that's going to tell you everything that goes wrong, everything that scares you. And, you know, I went through it in my presentation on the 12 challenges and solutions that real estate investors will face. And no book prepares you for these. Even my presentation is not going to prepare you for when you encounter a similar challenge. And so you got to know the basics and then you have to get started. Um, getting started doesn't mean that you need to go out and risk your entire net worth or risk everything in your bank account, right? Getting started means you could go do that on your own, jump in with two feet, or you could jump in with one foot and maybe another leg with a partner who has experience, right? It's okay to not make 100% of all of the money off of a deal, but getting started, getting that experience, having that track record is gonna get you there. And then number three, once you get started, you need to check in on what your goal is, right? Everybody has different goals. You don't have to have a 200 plus million dollar portfolio and be focused on you know deals that are greater than $20 million in the multifamily space to be successful. You, whatever your goal is, you need to define it. So if you wanna have X dollars in cash flow per month, define that goal and figure out a way to get there. If you wanna have um, a business that helps everyday people invest in real estate passively, then you need to do that too. Um, if you want to grow a business with two other partners, then you need to do that. So check in on your goals and make sure your alignment is there with what you personally want to achieve. So again, that's very important because people see like, oh gosh, you know, Danny's just doing these big apartment deals. I need to do that too. Well, if if that doesn't align with your goal and you just want to have a safe retirement with maybe two or 10 single family houses, just do that. That's okay. Everyone is different. Um, know the basics, get started, and then check in on your goals. Love that. Very simple. And I agree with everything you just said. That's a good proportion of just research, but also taking action and not being reckless about it. So I like that a lot. Where can, is there a way people can find that video? Uh, you referenced the 12 steps or what group that was for? Yeah, it's on dannyrandazzo.com and I can send you the link, Jonathan. It should be on the blog page. Okay, we'll grab it. Yeah, it's the first blog on the blog page. So dannyrandazzo forward slash blog. Okay, cool. Um, you mentioned the idea of uh, teaming up or tagging up. And, and I love the, uh, by the way, if you, the reference about the, the small slice, you got to come up to New York in the summer, obviously not the winter, but you know, we'll get you set up there. But um, I, I agree with that approach a hundred percent. I think a lot of beginner investors, they're stuck in the idea that they need to control the entire thing or, you know, they'd rather go slow and have control, you know, than fast and, you know, with investors. So, I mean, I, with, with that, approach in mind. There's also probably a lot of beginner investors listening to this right now thinking, um, how do I do that? I, I have no idea how to partner up with someone or pair up with a mentor. I mean, we'll get into a part of the show where we talk about the right way going about getting mentors. But for someone listening to this right now, uh, any tips that you would give to someone, let's say they have that 10,000 about partnering up or mentoring up with someone that they can maybe use their money uh, a little bit smarter? Yeah, the best way to find like-minded individuals where you want to invest is to get involved in a local like meetup or some sort of real estate focused meeting 
in that location. So if you are investing um, from afar, right, maybe you live in New York City and you're investing in Tennessee, um, I would really suggest that you travel to Tennessee and physically go to some of these real estate meetups and meet locals um, who are doing what you want to do and work with them. You know, you don't need to jump in the day, the first day you meet them, but get a feel for what they're doing and make a relationship. Talk to them on the phone, check in with them, you know, on a webinar. Zoom meetings are, are a great way to meet face to face and get a level of comfort with people. And so finding those meetings is the best way to find either a mentor or like-minded individuals who you could work with. It's a good way also to kind of test their character, figure out what their background is, you know, always fact check people too. So if they say they just closed on a property and it's worth X dollars, you know, go check the tax records or the sales records and, you know, just verify it, go take a tour of the property. So if you're looking to find a person to partner with or a mentor, you gotta get out from behind the computer likely and sit down, have coffee with people, meet them, network on the internet, but then set up a meeting to go sit down and meet in person. Um, I've been running a breakfast group in Charleston for about two years now. We meet every first and third Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. And it's just a place for like-minded individuals to connect. We had probably 30 people this morning at breakfast um, and we just go around the room and try to add value to everyone. So what do you want to get from the group? Who do you need to know? Um, and we just help people. So tap into those groups and there'll be a huge valuable source of information um, because the other important piece with getting a partner is finding someone who is kind of in your same space, right? It's going to be really difficult for a newbie to go and add value to someone who has done a thousand flips, right? So meet them where they're at, see how you can add value to each other and then just move forward. Yeah, that's great. I think that's, well, one, there's a lot of tangible stuff that you just laid out that someone can go and do. And I love what you said about networking online and then meeting in person because like I have three things that, that I tell people are, you can just, you can't delegate them. We were, we were talking a little before we jumped on about tasks and some things you just can't delegate. There's some things you just can't. The one that, that I always tell people, um, you cannot delegate relationships. You know, you can delegate maybe the planning to set up the call and, you know, the follow-up, but being across the table from someone in person or being on the phone with them, being present, you know, that's, that's where I tell people you just need to read how to win friends and influence people and start getting on the phone. You know, it's that simple. Um, so, so I love that. And I love that you actually run a, a group, a breakfast group. Um, if I'm in Charleston, I need to get down and check that out. So it's another good reason to go. Uh, any tips or um, learnings you had from starting that group or running that group and you know, what, whatever it started as to whatever it has become now. I would say if, if there is not a group that someone can find easily, check biggerpockets, check meetup.com, see if there's a group going. If not, start one. Um, and just have topics, don't sell anything, just try to add value to people and people will come back and back. I had a, a gentleman this morning, he's been doing real estate for 30 plus years in Charleston and he said, my breakfast meeting is the best meeting he's ever been to in the last 30 years. He's been coming for about two years now, um, but he just loves it. And, and again, it's, it's all about helping other people. So that's the mentality and the mindset of it. Um, there's plenty of deals out there for everyone to do well and be successful. And guess what? We have different goals. So I'm not, trying to take someone's wholesale deal and there's plenty of wholesale deals out there. So let's just help each other all be successful. And you're going to find that really good like-minded individuals will show up. And so if you're going to start your own meeting, um, be authentic, don't sell anything, add values 
to other, add value to others who attend. And then number four, I would just say have some cool topics. So I'll have um, a newbie talk about their story and how they bought their first Burr property. Or we've had a, a gentleman who's flipped like a thousand homes in the, over the last two years. So that's pretty interesting. Let's hear how you do that. Let's ask particular questions about your process or technology that you use. We have another lady in the group who's flipped five businesses. So it, it's very unique and just have people tell their story, share what they know. Again, people are experts in a couple of things. And so utilizing this wealth, this huge pie of people, we can gain a lot from it. Love that. And I also love what you said there about it's not as competitive as people make it out to be. And it also, like that mindset, when that shifted for me, it was also the same way that I realized the mindset of when a sale is taking place, the first question most people ask is, why is this person selling? If it's a good property, people are at different stages and have different goals all throughout their life. You know, the guy that just added a 50 unit might be looking to sell his eight unit non-competitively because it's just not his business model anymore. Or you go to a meetup and you're talking about flipping or wholesaling and it's not competitive. There's a lot of, I think, collaborative ways to your point that people overlook because they think I got to stay in my silo because it's my advantage. So I, I totally agree with you on that. And I think people need to maybe open up a little bit more. So um, really cool uh, there. Appreciate that point. If, uh, if you're cool, you're ready for the wind down of the show. Just some, some quick rapid fires. Let's roll. All right, cool. Uh, what is your favorite way to stay educated? Reading books, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos. Not all content is created equal. So um, I am extremely particular about what I do. I primarily get most of my education from reading books. Um, and it's a variety of book focuses or topics and I would just say, learn about what you really like and like the rest of it, somebody else can fill you in on, right? Yeah, love that. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And you see people, they're saying they want to get into multifamily and they're reading about single family. I just don't understand it. So it's to that point. You got to be focused. Yeah, 100%. I, I couldn't agree with that more. So very cool. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, like a tactical level, are there any websites, apps, tools, day planning things you use or have on your monitors or phone up every day? Um, I am extremely old school. So I kind of go the opposite of technology. So number one, I do one thing at a time. I do not multitask. And it, it's been a work in progress to get to where I'm at. Um, I still find myself where I might be on a call and then I like put it on speaker and I send a text out. That's not acceptable. So for me, there is no multitasking. I have no alerts that pop up on my computer. I have no um, sound on my phone that dings or whatever when I'm focused on a task. So I just want to do one task, do it well, and get it over with or completed to the best of my ability. Um, so with that, you know, I have a, a fairly flexible schedule. I try to do my most important tasks at uh, like 6 to 8 a.m. And then I'll typically work out at some point in the morning. And then I will do... Um, like property activities, business activities that are really important to the business um, before noon. And then afternoon, I typically leave my schedule flexible um, to do like podcast interviews or do like a blog post or engage with you know, people have coffee, do whatever, but it, it's an interesting mentality. I just finished this, um, this interesting book called The Outsiders, which is a book about the eight most impactful CEOs over the last half a century. And it was very surprising to see how they are, are drastically different than today's CEOs. Um, you know, Buffett is, is one of the greats. Um, he's definitely in the top eight and he, he has no schedule. He has no reoccurring management meetings, no investor calls, 
his schedule is blank. He reads for about five hours a day and then does whatever kind of creativity, um, capital allocation work that he needs to do. And so it's an interesting mindset when you think about it. I, I like to have the ability to think. Um, and so if at two o'clock in the afternoon, I want to go read a book, I'm going to go and do that because that's going to add the highest and best value to my business, um, to what I can creatively do, to new ideas, new thinking. And yeah, I hope that answered the question in a, yeah, it's in a great. roundabout way. No, it's great. Have you read uh, uh, or familiar with one thing by uh, Gary Keller, those guys? Yep. You need to get on their podcast. I know Jeff, if you want to get on that or if you haven't been already. Would love to. Yeah, you should be. That's, that's like my mantra, that entire book. It's that philosophy. So cool. Cool. We'll tie off on that. Um, what's next for you, 2020 and beyond? Um, 2020, we are going to buy $300 million, uh, worth of multifamily real estate this year. That's going to be between about five to seven deals. Um, so that's what we are focused on. And again, we work backwards from that. So the number sounds really big, but if we're going to do five to seven deals, that means one or two deals a quarter. And we just need to be focused on getting that first one, and then we'll get number two, and then we'll kind of move on and get number three. So um, that's what we do. I'm, I'm glancing over here at my goal board, which I see every day in front of me. Um, another big goal on there is expanding my network. So meeting people like you, meeting people out there, um, on the internet, in the world, doing great things. Uh, it's so important. And I read the book, whatever it takes by Steven, uh, Schwartzman about Blackstone. And the biggest takeaway I had from that book is to have a powerful network. And so, in order to do things differently than last year in 2019 and accomplish our bigger, newer goals, we have to be different. And I need a different network to get me there. So expanding my network is extremely important. So would love to connect with anybody um, who's interested. Um, I've got a fun one up here about winning a golf tournament that I play in with my dad every year. So we're going to do that on 8-8. Eight, eight. Um, nice. August 8th, we will win that tournament. Um, I'm calling it in now. So we're focused on that. And then we've got some other things like diversifying and, um, and learning. So that's what we're working on. And that's what we are focused on. Awesome. Love it. I love that you gave the goal, but then also the, the measurable or the activity, your mindset behind that. So very cool. And uh, if I can help or my network can help with any of that, uh, maybe I can help with the golf side of it too. Um, so very cool. You touched on it a little. Uh, you, you've a little, I love how you set up your schedule. What do you like to do for fun or what do you consider, you know, anything non-work activities you like to do? Um, for fun, I enjoy playing golf or taking walks uh, with my wife and our dog, George, having some time to like think, get outside in nature. Um, writing kids books is another fun activity. Looking at real estate is a fun activity. Underwriting deals is a fun activity. Talking with investors is a fun activity meeting like-minded real estate or entrepreneurs is a fun activity. So, you know, basically I've kind of built something where um, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. I have fun with whatever I'm doing and, you know, don't get me wrong. I certainly have bad days um, and get frustrated sometimes with uh, having to call 1-800 numbers, <laughs> but that's besides the point. And, um, I think you just got to love what you do and um, find that passion in it. So we, we try to have um, good fun and enjoy the outdoors. Love that. That's such a good answer. And that reminds me, I just have to say this. I called my friend once. He, he had a very similar outlook to you. And it was like, he's on the West Coast. It was like 6 a.m. on a Saturday. I was like, what are you doing up? He's like, dude, every day is the same. He's like, I like what I do. Who cares? He's like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to do some work. I'm going to go be with people. And like, it's, it's great. Just every day can, who cares what day it is just just do your thing so uh really cool um we'll link everything that we've talked about uh what's the best way for people to learn more about you connect with you and uh check into your content 
Yeah, two ways. If you want to learn about me or kind of my story at all, go to dannyrandazzo.com. If you are interested in learning about what we do in our multifamily investing business, check out passiveinvesting.com. And those are the two best places to get all the info that you can uh, digest. Okay, great. That's a good uh, starter ramp for people. Uh, last question of the show. Big, big topic, a uh, common thread of, of this group is networking the right way. And for a lot of beginners, I think they've, we, we agree, have the right intention, but they'll, they'll reach out to someone and say, hey, will you be my mentor? Or, hey, can you help me with this? And what we like to really advocate for people um, is to be a value add person before a value ask person. And we try to make it as tangible as possible. So um, we like to throw it out there to any guest and put it you know, in a way that if someone was to reach out, um, if there's any way they could help them or bring them value. So is there anything right now that um, you're either stuck on, struggling with, trying to move the ball forward on, or you just don't have time for that if someone reached out to you trying to bring you value, uh, it, would, it would help accomplish that. And I'll just pre preface it by saying we've heard answers from help with social media, help with video editing, help with sharing content. You know, we've even had people say, pick up my laundry. We've had a lot of different answers, but any way that stands out for you, you know, just kind of an ask for anyone that's trying to, you know, connect. Um, if there is anyone out there who is extremely proficient in um, Excel or financial modeling, that would be a, a value add. I like it. Your answers, and we, we didn't have a lot of time jumping on today, but your answers have been so concise and very proficient. So I, I really appreciate it because you never know how it's going to go. And some people, you know, are all over the place. So um, yeah. with that, I just want to say thank you for jumping on. And also thank you for the content you put out there, um, your attitude with helping people. Uh, I can just tell and hearing your voice and the way that you actually do what you talk about. It's, it's very refreshing. So thank you for that. And um, really just, you know, I, I can tell this is going to be a big year for you. So um, wishing you the best of luck before we jump off. Is there anything you just want to put out as a parting word or a, you know, call to action? Go get started in your business. And that's what I will leave you with. Jonathan, thank you so much for having me on. It was uh, my pleasure to be here. And like I said, go get started, take that next action step um, so you can improve. All right. Awesome. Well, with that, we'll tie off. I will uh, circle back with you on a couple follow-ups I had and uh, appreciate it. Go have a great weekend. Thank you so much.